Hello and welcome to Cloud Security Podcast. This is a different kind of episode this time. I have started a series on LinkedIn, Twitch and YouTube. It's basically a live series called Virtual Coffee with Ashish. It's aired live every Sunday 8 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. Basically, due to COVID-19, I haven't been able to go out and gab coffee with a lot of people that I really wanted to meet and connect with, and I thought why not make it virtual? So over the past couple of weeks, I've been going live on LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitch all at the same time, interacting with a lot of you. So why not take this opportunity to connect with you guys on another one of a different kind of podcast than what you've heard before? So I'll be really keen to know what you guys think. So in this episode, we have Hacker Valley Studio podcast host Chris Cochran and Ronald Eddings who joined us. Chris works for Netflix as a threat intelligence manager and Ronald works as security architecture manager for Palo Alto. Now, it was a really interesting conversation. It was a mix of cloud security, what it means to be a mature cloud security practice. We also spoke about how is it possible for someone to go not just do podcast but also have elements of fitness, meditation, yoga. We walked we spoke about workouts. We talked into a lot of things. So it it's basically a conversation where we three got to get I guess they both knew each other and I got to know both of them. I got to know their funny side as well and I which I really enjoyed. I'm looking forward to having more well hopefully actual coffees and beverages with these blocks. I learned so much. I learned so much about the goal behind the podcast that they have which was ranked top 50 in a cybersecurity podcast which is pretty good. and I'm really grateful that they came on our show as I was saying earlier I do appreciate the support that you guys have given me as well because that allows me to bring in these special guests and get the audience um I guess what they need so if you find this valuable I would appreciate if you can let me know we have also changed the way show notes appear now it's going to be a transcript instead of the bullet points that was there on cloud security podcast or tv let me know what you think let me know if you want me to go back to the bullet points and give you guys a summary i've been told it's transcript is what is preferred so people can read it if people who can't i guess listen to the audio or watch the youtube video so let me know what you think and uh, the episode is as always we appreciate your reviews and the star ratings that you give us on iTunes it helps us get more amazing guests like these they do have I guess mentorship programs that they're part of so if you do want some kind of uh, mentorship from them or for me feel free to reach out I'm happy to kind of introduce you guys to them or if you are looking for mentorship as well I'm happy to offer my time as well um but mentorship is a two way street so obviously it means we need to connect and start talking and get to know each other before we even go down that path and I'm pretty sure that's what Chris and Ron would say as well I hope you guys get value out of it as well the same way I did and get to know Chris and Ron at a deeper level. And also let me know if you actually you like this kind of I guess episodes where it's just conversation between cybersecurity folks talking about cybersecurity, COVID-19 and how it's changed the security. Yeah, if it's a, it's a different kind of a, a podcast episode, I'll really appreciate if you can give me some feedback on this. And As always appreciate you guys leaving us a review or rating on iTunes helps us get us guests helps us get us really good guests for you like like these ones from Netflix and from Palo Alto so thanks so much for your time and uh let's get into the episode Hello and welcome to Virtual Coffee with Ashish I've got two amazing guests today uh they you guys know may know them as Hacker Valley Studio uh Chris and Ron I have only con- well it feels like I've been watching their content for a long time but I've been <laughs> terrified it's only been a year since that they've been creating content so it's quite awesome uh that I was able to get get them in so this is for people who are joining in this is going live on Twitch as well as um LinkedIn and pretty put on later on on YouTube as well so when you guys get to it just um feel free to share and do whatever this would be available on Hacker Valley Studio as well and i'm not going to butcher the introduction for Hacker Valley Studio so i'm going to let ron and chris do an amazing job as they always do with their content i'm going <laughs> to let them introduce themselves um you guys know who i am so my name is ashish uh, i run the cloud security podcast 
And I am going to pass over to Chris and Ron to introduce themselves. You guys can take whoever wants to go first. Take it away, Chris. What's going on, everybody? Chris Cochran from Hacker Valley Studio, along with my co-host, Ron Eddings. I work at Netflix uh, on the information security team leading threat intelligence. Uh, happy to be here, Sheesh. Appreciate the invitation and uh, looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, I think Chris said it best, also co-host of Hacker Valley Studio. Um, when I'm not blogging or podcasting, uh, I'm a security architect and also leading a team of security architects at Palo Alto Networks. That is awesome. And because we're talking cybersecurity, I'm sure a lot of people are curious. How did you guys get into cybersecurity? Were you always, I guess, hackers? <laughs> you for, go me, for me, absolutely. Um, ever since... Uh, I got my first computer. There was uh, kind of the situation I found myself in. I used to chat a lot with my friends in the the AOL and Messenger chat rooms, and um, I ended up getting the direct, uh, some type of direct message. And you know, back then with AOL and Messenger, there was this feature called direct message, where it allowed you to send someone else files. So me being young and dumb, I just said, "All right, I want to see what this file is that someone's sending me," and it happened to be a virus. Uh, luckily for me, this person that um, took my computer down, I, I it turned my computer off. I turned it back on. And then I went back into the chat room. I found the person. I was like, how did you do this? <laughs> and he gave me the name of the program. It was called ProRat. And I was like, what? This is the most amazing thing ever. But ever since then, I really just like picked up programming books, uh, security books, and I had a great mentor at a very young age. I was around 17 and I met uh, someone named Marcus Carey. He's the author of Tribe of Hackers. And he he uh, took me under his wing and really showed me the way. And that was uh, kind of my path into the game. Right. Wow. So, so wait, so you're 19 now? Is that what you're saying? Uh, no, when I was... <laughs> <laughs> well, just checking if you go like... Ron wishes. Yeah, <laughs> that, I think the, the head shows, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think all of us wishing we were 19 right now. <laughs> Over to you, Chris. Yeah, so I got into the game early. Uh, I got really into technology, taking apart computers, putting components together, just seeing how they work. Of course, you know, like most people that were tinkerers, I had one of those uh, Radio Shack kits where you could build alarm systems, you could build radios and things like that. I was just fascinated with technology. And eventually I joined the Marine Corps. And luckily I joined a field of uh, intelligence that allowed me to stay close and connected to technology. And uh, lo and behold, uh, my actual job became what is threat intelligence today. And so just staying uh, in touch with tech, in touch with all of the attacks and adversaries that are out there, it's just been kind of a seamless path for me. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, and, uh, and thank you for your service as well, by the way. Absolutely. It, it's amazing to have, uh, it, it's interesting that Ron, you had a mentor and Chris, uh, you kind of came from a military background as well. How did you guys meet? Like <laughs> the start of curiosity. <laughs> yeah, so we actually met at a company uh, we worked at Ironnet uh, Cybersecurity. That was uh, General Alexander's uh, startup. Uh, he's still there. Uh, General Alexander was the director of the National Security Agency for eight years. And so uh, I was the intel guy. Ron was the hunter. And so we would work hand in hand uh, trying to you know, keep folks protected. Oh, awesome. And for people who don't know what when you say intel and threat hunter like what's what how do you share that with people who are not from security what, what do you guys tell them when you're uh, meet a non-security person as to what you guys do yeah so for threat intelligence i keep track of all the things that bad people are doing from uh, a cyber perspective so i keep track of all the hackers whether they're um uh hackers for nation states like a part of the you know different nations military or you know criminals because there's huge gigantic criminal organizations that are doing bad things uh, with the internet with fraud and other types of uh, malicious activity and hunters are the folks that are looking for the bad folks within your network so you're they're looking for the things that your common conventional security applications aren't picking up sweet uh, by the way, just just before uh, I do want to reference, we do have coffees with us, right? So yeah, just yes, indeed, you got to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so coffee like, with a sheesh. You got to have coffee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. 
Oh, is that beer? It like looks like that looks like beer. That doesn't it's, look like coffee. This is for the the people that drink a lot of coffee. They you know you need a big <laughs> cup like this. Also, oh, I got yeah. my, uh, my Marine Corps emblem right there. There you go. Oh, that is awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. Like uh, how and um, what a good time to mention with the whole. Uh, and I'm gonna switch back to the technology side, but uh, quickly touching on the whole. I guess working working from home during COVID, and you meant to mention threat intelligence. Has working from home changed your view on security, I guess, for both of you? Uh, because now I'm sure both of you are working from home. Uh, although Ron looks like he's working from a hacker studio. Uh, but <laughs> uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with you first, Ron. Uh, has your opinion about security while working from home changed? Um, I wouldn't say necessarily my my idea of security has changed but i think the way that we're looking at opportunities in security has changed the opportunities in security are are i think are even more vast than they were previously uh pre covid just because now the security practitioners are working remote um the ones that aren't in the field yet they have even more time to study there's nowhere to go so they might be hitting the books really hard right now um also for all of the people that have switched to remote um it's really opened up the gate for for migrating to the cloud. Everyone's kind of going that direction already, but now we've really just jump started the whole thing, and we're going to start seeing a lot more adoption in the cloud. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's it's still a transition, it's still a journey. It's going to be a while until we see organizations, large organizations, that are 100% adopted in the cloud. But I think that's the the opportunity that has shifted since um, being locked down. Mm -hmm. Sweet. What about yourself, Chris? Yeah, so the only thing I see is a bit of uh, a change in scale, right? Because there are plenty of co companies right now that are working remote, uh, some more than others. Some companies are completely remote. Some are 50-50. Some do occasional remote work. It's the companies that had to adopt remote work quickly are the ones that had to grow the most. So the only thing I, I see that is going to be different is that more people are going to be able to work remotely. Uh, but that's actually going to end up paying dividends over time because you'll be able to hire talent that's not in your area. You'll be able to manage your devices in a way that's uh, slightly more intelligent uh, through technology. There's a lot of benefits to working remotely. Um, yep. So we always try to look on the, the bright side of things. Oh, sweet. No, and thank you for sharing that as well, because I, I think there's almost like a people kind of tend to forget that uh, to Ron's point. It doesn't change much, but I guess the landscape kind of varies a bit. Is that the right way to put it? It's just like still the same kind of security. It's just that now you probably are a bit more cautious that most of your staff are remote. You mm. might even have uh, a more simplified view of security after kind of working from home. There's less less devices being used on and off-prem. Yep. Oh, yeah. Actually, that's a good one. And I guess uh, just for people who are live, I'm just trying to think through. We've got about seven people on, I guess, on, wow. I didn't realize that Twitch had seven people looking at us, but <laughs> Twitch has seven people. Uh, and there are quite a few on LinkedIn as well. If you guys have any questions, feel free to leave it in the comment section as well. Um, Ron, you touched on cloud, which is my probably favorite, my, my favorite topic <laughs> at the moment. But thanks to my cloud security podcast. Uh, what does cloud security look for you? Oh, the cloud. That's a that's a great question. Um, just because there's so many different definitions of cloud security, I think it really depends on uh, the cloud provider that you're using and also what kind of cloud customer you are. That would kind of uh, dictate what kind of cloud security or what cloud security means to you. Um, but for me, I live in the in a world of automation. So for me, um, I look at a lot of services and the alerts that they generate. And my whole goal being a security architect and where I fit in with cloud security is taking and making sense of a lot of applications, a lot of logs, the output from a lot of services and enriching them to make it meaningful for an analyst or an engineer to triage. Um, so I look at um, cloud security. It's the same as traditional security, but there's just a, a shift in maybe not securing the device, but kind of securing the application. Mm -hmm. What about you, Chris? 
The way I look at cloud security is I think of one word, agility, being able to change your infrastructure, being able to change your security posture with changes in code is I think is phenomenal, especially for, you know, nimble companies that, you know, might be smaller. Um, but even if you have large organizations where you need to change uh, based on divisions, based on roles, things like that, uh, you're focused on uh, identity, right? Identity is huge in cloud. So that's where a lot of your security actually ends up coming from. And so being able to have this agility and focus your efforts on being agile, I think is what is one of the main components of being in cloud security. Sweet. And I, I think uh, the moment you guys mentioned it, there's a question from Ali Reza. What is, what is your security concern in Azure Data Factory? I'll probably, I'm going to reword that instead of just calling specifically Azure Data Factory is because I think it's more, if I were to revert that, you can answer that directly if you feel like, but just so, so that people understand a broader context, what does data security mean in the cloud context and for you guys? If it's like, I think that's kind of where he's coming from as well, or he or she is coming from. There's no picture, so I don't know if it's a he or a she. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so the question is, what is security concerns in Azure Data Factory? So not necessarily, you know, pointing the finger at, at Azure or any other uh, brand out there. But when you're looking at data security, what you want to do is you want to first classify your data. That's one thing. And, you know, these basics don't change. Just because we're moving to the cloud doesn't mean that we don't do some of the same stuff. So data classification first, because that tells you all the controls that you need to have to protect that specific data, right? And then how much do you ramp it up? What encryption are you using for that specific data, right? Think about data just as you would on-prem. It's not any different. So, you know, covering your basics, making sure that things are as secure as it needs to be while being available is going to be primary. Oh, sweet. Uh, Ron, anything that you want to add to that? Uh, no, I would, I would kind of just echo what Chris said. And um, you have to really understand the type of data that you're storing and mm -hmm. how it needs to be accessible. Um, yep. Maybe not all types of data or the kind of all places where you're storing your data need to be secured in such fashion. So it might not make sense to try to uh, go after everything. I think it's really understanding your data and kind of working from there and securing what you need to secure in whatever fashion it needs to be secured in. Sweet. No, thank you. Uh, hopefully, Alreza, that answered your question, but uh, feel free to leave another, uh, I guess, comment or question if you guys, if you want more clarification. With the cloud security, uh, going back to the cloud security uh, definition, and it's really great that Alreza brought up Azure, because one of the things that I'm noticing, and I wonder if it's the same for you guys as well, do you guys feel multi-cloud is a thing? Mm -hmm. Yep. Oh. That's, that's, that's like you said, that's a synchronous yes. But is it more, because I feel like people kind of confuse multi-cloud sometimes. We say, oh, they think I've got SaaS services running or versus I've got Azure and AWS. Like, what, what do you guys think when you, when I say multi-cloud, which version is yours? Yeah, I mean, you want to go first, Ron? Uh, I think multi-cloud is kind of both. So the first definition that um, I might look at is, all right, does that mean you're just having applications in both clouds? or are you really using all of the features and even infrastructure um, in both clouds? But I think either way, um, definitely a thing. Big banks uh, often have multi-cloud environments of some sort, um, just because the, the sensitivity of the data and also how available the data has to be, you kind of want to ensure that by uh, going to multiple clouds. Yep. And one size doesn't fit all. Uh, there might be applications that you need to have in Google Cloud. There might be uh, features that AWS has that you really depend on for your operations. So really uh, looking at all of your options and kind of piecing things together. I like to akin things to uh, Bruce Lee. He says, you know, take all the things that you can use and then everything else, just throw it away. Oh, Bruce Lee, man. It's like, <laughs> wow, it's way too early in the morning, way too deep, but uh, I, mean, I can consume that with some coffee in my hand. <laughs> um, so talking about, we spoke about multi-cloud, we spoke about cloud security, and obviously, um, I've, I think we have a varied audience here. What does 
maturity in cloud look like for you? What like what do you consider uh, is almost like a baby step for cloud security versus like super advanced uh, cloud security? What does that look like look, look like for you guys? Yeah, um, for me, cloud security in a mature organization, I think of redundancy. I think of high availability if something has to come down because there's a configuration error or, error or something like that being able to transition over to maybe like a warm site in the cloud is pivotal. Being able to deploy infrastructure in a way that makes sense quickly and efficiently is gonna be pivotal. Making changes in the cloud, keeping track of those changes is what uh, to me is a part of being a mature organization. And then don't forget asset management. Asset management doesn't go away because you, don't, you have less endpoints. Asset management is still huge because you need to keep track of what applications you have. You need to keep track of the dependencies those applications have and also uh, the vulnerabilities that they have as well. What about you, Ron? Yeah, I think um, I would say high availability. And Chris, you, you already said that. Um, but you, when you're in the cloud, one of the biggest perks is availability. So how can you secure your applications while... Um, maintaining very available applications. Um, so what I look at is uh, the application itself and how it's designed. And if you're able to detect uh, security vulnerabilities or security and respond to security alerts, you're going to probably have to redeploy your application. So having uh, a lot of flexibility in your environment is also very important. But um, I think that your security alerting and response strategy has to be flexible in such a way. And I think that's where the term, that's why the, ter the term detection engineering is very popular today. Sweet. What, what is detection engineering or what is detection engineering for people who don't know about it? I would say it's a bit of being a security engineer and an incident response analyst. You're able to um, create the detection logic and that detection logic might have some response logic built in. Maybe um, once you see a specific alert on an EC2 instance, you automatically go and redeploy that EC2 instance, but block that activity from that other sender. Oh, so in other, putting in another, other words, um, unlike traditional data center security, where a lot of it has to be, I guess you log into a server, and if you need, need to bring up a new box, you just go to this VMware massive right. console, bring up a new virtual machine. Instead of just doing that, use APIs to automate a lot of that. Is that another way to put it, I guess? Yep, absolutely. And uh, But it's not necessarily exclusively that, but that is a component of detection engineering that could be a, a component of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so to both of your mention, I think so that's a great example for, I think, I hear that more from a mature perspective where I guess people already have like a big security team and they have engineering capability because a lot of, I guess, I don't know if it's an Australia thing and you can, <clears throat> you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of companies that I've seen around, I guess some of you countries in the US as well, a lot of people don't even have a security engineering person. They usually have the traditional, and this is not in a way saying it's a bad thing. They have a security architect, they have a SOC team, they mm -hmm. have an application security guy. And sometimes they'll be like, "Why do I need a, a engineering guy?" And but you, it's to, what do you? How do you answer that? You want to take a stab at it, Chris? Yeah. So I mean, there's a couple ways you can do it. I mean, actually, not a couple ways. There's like a million ways you can do security in any organization. But uh, for you can have a distributed security model where the majority of the people on your security team are enabling the application owners. They're enabling the data owners to do all of their operations more efficiently. So you're building, you're helping them build tools to keep them safe. You're uh, creating paved roads for them to do their development. Uh, but you can also have uh, folks that are doing like operations. You can have a SOC, like you were saying. You can have folks that are actually doing um, uh, incident response, things like that. But uh, there's so many models that you can take. It really depends on you know your industry. It depends on compliance. It depends on your maturity. It depends on your size. So many different things. Oh, right. And anything to add to that, Ron? I would say take a look at security as um, kind of like what Chris was saying, enabling the application owner, um, but bringing the security related events to them that are related to their application. 
So mm-hmm. creating um, some type of alert that's easy enough for that application owner to respond to themselves. Right. And I guess your point about with, I guess if that's the case in, 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 in this scenario, if I were to just kind of change the tables a bit. So for people who haven't started this journey and they want to go down that path, is there like, are there baby steps that you guys recommend that they can take? From, I guess it would depend on where they're getting started from. Are they getting started from scratch or if they're getting started from like a, Ooh, some type yes, of foundation? Yeah. Now that I think about the question for you, like for a pretty big, <laughs> uh, but <laughs> I think it's like more in terms of the, for example, I'm a, I'm a head of security in a company and I've got a couple of people in my team and I've got an AppSec guy, SOC guy, but I've slowly noticed that I'm going into the cloud space. Um, I think I normally recommend people to go and explore what kind of services are already available in cloud to start, I guess, in some engineering accounts against. I think that's kind of where it was coming from. But I guess if you have another opinion in terms of like, is there a better way to approach it than like just use a tool or just don't go into a tool first? What do you guys recommend in that space? Go for a tool straight away if you can afford it, I guess. I mean, I think I think Chris has the best answer. It's, uh, it's the easy button. Easy button, that's right. Yeah, goodness. good old easy button. Right. Mm. This this actually answers the question too. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. For folks that don't know what the easy button is, I actually made it specifically for threat intelligence, and then I ended up converting it over for cybersecurity writ large. Uh, the easy button is E, uh, list of requirements. So what are the things your stakeholders need to do the missions that they're doing? A, assess collection plan. Where are you getting your data? Where are you getting your people, your resources? Where are you um, uh, looking for things that you need to do to support everybody else? Uh, strive for impact because that's that's huge. Maybe you want to show value. So you want to show specific metrics to the board. Maybe you want to show metrics to... Uh, the CISO, maybe you want to show it to stakeholders, you know, different things like that. Um, and then why yield to feedback? Because obviously, if someone's giving you feedback, whether it's a peer, whether it's a superior, or even a direct report, something needs to happen. Maybe there's a miscommunication, maybe something needs to be improved, or maybe something just needs to change in general. But uh, yeah, easy, uh, <laughs> easy button for uh, just about everything in cybersecurity. Easy peasy, um. Yeah. And, and to add to that, right, just to break that down even further. So when you're trying to find your kind of your requirements, you're, you're at the E part of the easy button, you might want to do something really cool in security, but that might not provide the organization any value. So I think like before checking out, like what does AWS have specifically? You have to understand what are your organization's like needs and their, their values and the goals and try to help the organization reach those points instead of just doing something cool just for the fun of it. Oh, I like that. I just realized actually, sorry, I was just seeing the ticker and I realized I had the wrong website there. <laughs> the things that, so I had uh, cloudsecuritypodcast.com instead of TV. Sorry. Just oh, no. Yeah. I don't know, because I said, you said easy button. I'm looking at this button like, why does it look so different? I'm like, oh, no, no, no it looks different. That's all right. I've got half, more than half of the video just uh, with the wrong website. Um, that's, that's, that's live for you. So uh, now I'm going to switch gears a bit. And I would love to hear from you guys. What is the most common misconception you hear about cloud or security in cloud? I, so, I would, I would I I'll start out. And um, I think there's a few. Uh, one that comes to mind is the price. And I think that the some will say, oh, cloud is expensive. Some will say, oh, is cloud is cheap. And I think the answer is it always depends. It always depends on what you're bringing in, how, mu- how much you're going to use it, how often it's going to be used. Um, so I think that the price is often um, what's assumed and often the most incorrect. Cool. Good answer. Chris, do you want to add? something to that that it is uh vulnerable by design i think is the, one of the biggest misconceptions i've heard because you hear about all these uh, s3 bucket dumps and things like that it's not 
AWS that's the the problem or or the the you know it's not their technology it's the implications and the application of their technology so by you know having folks that might not know exactly what they're doing maybe it's the first time they're rolling out uh cloud infrastructure maybe they had a configuration uh mishap uh, i would say definitely work close with your cloud provider and make sure that you are deploying things in a safe and secure manner sweet um, and just to take that step a bit further, what do you both feel that people are not talking enough about in cloud and security of cloud, I guess? Maybe what, the basics, basics of the services. I think that there's a lot of resources out there. It's It can be overwhelming at times, and it can also be fine, hard to find some good resources. Um, so I... I I personally look at AWS Security Hub when I'm trying to find out more about AWS specific topics. I think that's a great resource. And um, there's a lot of basics to all of these services. And once you understand those, it's a lot easier not to go wrong. Oh, so I love that one. That's pretty good. Um, basics, one-on-ones first. Yeah. Um, Chris, anything to add to that? Or you you just echo? Yeah, the only thing I would say, and it, this is a meme, this is a T-shirt. Uh, they they say cloud is just somebody else's computer, and in some ways they are one hundred percent correct. <laughs> so a lot of the same things that you can do from an on-prem perspective, you can do in the cloud. So uh, definitely uh, keep that in mind. Don't mm. don't over mystify cloud. Oh, yeah, love, love that. I love the answer. Thanks, guys. Um, I'm going to switch over to some of the questions that were asked in comments that we had um, posted last time. So I have a question from Jacqueline Ryder. Her question was, I'd love to hear from Kristen Ronalds about having a day job and a podcast. They seem to be complimentary, but have there been any conflicts or challenges? Has a side hustle brought any unexpected benefits to their careers? Like a couple of questions in there. However, you guys want to take it, whoever wants to take it first. Yeah, I'll go ahead and start with that. So yeah. uh, the podcast has been the most one of the most amazing things I've ever done in my life. Being able to have conversations with brilliant people, record it and share it with the world. I mean, you, you can't get much better than that. I feel like a lot of the reason why, you know, even while we're, you know, having coffee with you, Ashish, is because we put out a, co- uh, a podcast, we put out content. And so just by virtue of being connected to all these amazing people, all these amazing practitioners and content creators, I, I think you really can't go wrong, both from a personal perspective and from a, a work perspective. Um, from uh, like uh, my day job, uh, there, there's not a lot of overlap, to be honest. I, I might be able to articulate answers and communicate a bit better now that I've practiced communicating uh, so much over the last year. But uh, I don't I don't think anyone uh, at my day job has pat me on the back like, oh, my gosh, you're getting promoted because you have a podcast. But I will say that my stock and I think the same for Ron's as well has has grown uh, just by putting ourselves out there. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I would 100 percent agree. It's actually uh, complimentary, I would say, um, more than anything, just because mm-hmm. our, our podcast is about cybersecurity but more so about the human element, which isn't really talked about enough, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And also, um, it, it's good for the company, right? Um, I also do a lot of public endorsement and uh, speaking for Palo Alto Networks. So uh, it's kind of a blend of both. And when it actually leads to more opportunities at work. So I was just recently um, asked to do a webcast for another business unit at Palo Alto Networks because they saw the podcast and they liked the content and they're like, hey, would you mind doing something for us also? So I would say it's very complimentary. And to, to I guess to take that a bit, the other half was, has a side hustle brought any unexpected benefits to their career? So do you guys consider this as a side hustle though? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'd say uh, just recently we uh, launched our Patreon page. Uh, for a while, we were doing everything completely out of pocket, um, but we found out that if we really want to take uh, the show to the next level, bring the best guests, bring the best equipment, bring the best content that we can bring, it's going to take uh, the strength of the community. And so we launched our Patreon page. Um, at, if you don't mind, I mean, we can uh, you know 
put it in the in the the comments below or something like that, just so people could check it out. But yes, yeah, patreon.com forward slash hacker valley studio. Well, and then but the, the thing is that you're not just giving us uh money for the stuff that we already do. We're gonna continue to do podcasts, that's not gonna change. The thing that's cool about Patreon is we actually have tiers that we provide additional benefits, right? So like in one tier, we have a mastermind meeting once a month and uh, one tier you're getting uh, exclusive content that we don't put out for everybody and it's just for our patrons. So uh, yeah, so now technically it's a side hustle. Wow. And it's pretty awesome that you guys are kind of, so when did you guys start with the podcast? April of last year. One wow. year. Wow, this is one year and one month later. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Looking back, um, and I'm I'm assuming Jacqueline's probably asked that question. Probably she considers probably going down that path as well. Um, what would your recommendation be for other people who are trying to get into the space? And I guess from the learning that you guys have for an year, like what would you want to give back to her if she wants to start down that path as well? I, I would say be be relentless. You have to keep on going. Um, the podcast is going to be for someone. Hopefully, it's not just for you and your ego. Hopefully, you know you want to put something back out for someone to appreciate and enjoy. And even if it's just one person, that's still a win. And um, if it's thousands of people, that's even better. Uh, but either way, do it for the love of it and do it mm -hmm. because you want to do it rather than because of the numbers. Yep. 100%. And would you guys say, and this is just something that I've done personally, but I'm curious, because um, I normally tell people to go on YouTube as well, and to your point about Patreon, and I guess having it as a side hustle, is it does it make sense to start with Patreon and YouTube early? Uh, or did you guys, because you guys started much later, but looking back, would you start it earlier? Um, I wouldn't start it earlier, uh, just by nature of, uh, I, I would say it's more ego and more perception for yourself, like self-perception, because if you launch a podcast tomorrow and you have a Patreon page, I almost guarantee you no one's going to pay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it's going to take a while for you to start getting paid, uh, to do your craft. Uh, in most cases, sure. You have those one-offs where, Oh yeah, I started yesterday and I have 50,000 followers already. You know, like so that, I mean you have those those out those outliers. Yeah. But yep. um I would say focus on your craft first. Focus on getting good. And and don't break the bank in the beginning. Like we didn't have the oh, I didn't have this mic in the beginning. You know, we were using headsets for a long time. Um so yeah, don't break the bank. Do what you can do. Get sharp, work on your craft, and then eventually when you start to invest in it yourself then you can start asking others to invest with you sweet anything to add ron that's it that's it <laughs> <laughs> i think the podcasting reminded me i remember seeing a post from you guys where you did five interviews in five days or seven interviews in seven days no it was nine interviews nine. in one day <laughs> we had we had 10 scheduled but yeah uh yeah there was crazy traffic i was i couldn't yeah. get there <laughs> yeah oh my god like yeah wow like I think I find one a day sometimes quite intense. So you almost feel like all your energy goes into it. You did, you guys did like nine of them in one day. Yeah, nine. Was it's actually it's actually interesting because the energy builds up as you do more and more. So once yeah. you're three in, you're actually very you're very into it, and you kind of get lost in it. It was one of the fastest days I've ever had, and yeah, I loved every minute of it. Yeah, wow. uh, I have a uh, a mentor, uh, Yael Nagler. She was actually on the podcast and she told me that if you really want to find out what you really want to do is think about the thing that you will pick up the phone to discuss no matter how tired you are at the end of the day. If you pick up the phone and you know you're going to have energy doing it, that's what you need to be doing. And so when we do podcasts, it it just gives us energy. Wow. Wow. And, and you totally... Uh... I guess exuding it energy throughout the interview as well. That's so awesome. Uh, I've got one more question on the comment from the previous post from Taylor Hurston. His question was, what's the number one most exploited security weakness from malicious hackers, in your opinion? It can be high level and agnostic rather than related to a specific system. You want that one, Ron? The number one most exploited vulnerability? 
about security weakness yeah vulnerability from malicious hackers oh, okay yeah that's the easy one it's uh humans exactly it's all, I mean, it's always I mean, humans can, can i mean it sounds cliche it really does sound cliche and you're like, oh come on like what no really what is the number one vulnerability but i mean that that is it because yeah. a lot of the attack vectors you need a human being to be a part of it so that's absolutely the number one yeah sweet sweet and that's a great answer well um I think Jacqueline just uh, responded to you guys on the chat as well. So, so she's already a fan of you, fan of you guys, and she's going to check out the Patreon track. So uh, I'm going to leave it on the comment as well for I guess others to check out. So you guys are definitely doing an awesome job in that space. Uh, I think this is towards the end of our the last segment, and uh, these are just fun questions, non-technical questions. Feel free to answer as much or as little as you want. Mm -hmm. The first one is, what do you spend most time on when you're not working on technology? The podcast. <laughs> I, I, I literally wake up thinking about the podcast and I go to sleep thinking about the podcast. Wow. Oh, that is awesome. Uh, like, what about you, Ron? Same here. Same here. We're, we're constantly, you know, strategizing and talking about it. Um, so I would have to say podcasts. If I had to give something else, if someone wanted another answer besides that, because Chris just gave it away um <laughs> when we weren't locked down i spent a lot of time in the gym so maybe oh, like an hour and a half a day um just hanging out working oh, out yep a little escape like weightlifting or is that like more cardio or what are you it, doing for oh ron's a beast it was weightlifting <laughs> and yoga i, I love i love yoga Wait, you need to flex those guns, man. You need to. Like, <laughs> you can't, can't like, go to the gym for not flex your guns over there. Come on, man. You, <laughs> you know, I'll give them one flex. <laughs> uh, th thanks for thanks for the flex, man. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure fans are impressed already. Um, wait, so, I guess uh, pre-lockdown. Um, I, I guess it's, it's funny. Because I think the only reason I started virtual coffee with Ashish was because pre-lockdown, I used to have coffee with a lot of people, like new people. I'd reach out to them and meet up, meet them out for coffees. But lockdown has kind of forced me to start this thing as well. Otherwise, it wasn't like a thing. And I'm like, oh, right. I like kind of virtual coffees. Um, so it, it's a great answer. I'm actually curious, and this may be slightly off track, but what's the goal for your podcast? Like, as well, like how you guys are so passionate about it. Like, like the... The, the purpose uh, or the ultimate goal, like the end goal of the podcast? Ooh, maybe let's start with the goal first and then come back. I, or maybe just start with the purpose and then go with the goal. I'm keen to hear both. I, I'll take purpose if you take uh, end goal, Ron. Does let's that sound do good? It. Sound fair? Yep. The purpose of this podcast is to reveal and highlight high performers across cybersecurity and to uh, share experience, knowledge, and advice to get people from where they are currently to where they want to be. We want to supply top ten, top tier information to the top 1% of cybersecurity practitioners. We want people that wake up, eat, breathe this stuff to be able to be their best every single day when they go into the office. So any information that will supply them to be able to do that is what we're looking for. So stuff like mindfulness, we're looking for stuff like fitness, nutrition. What are the things on the fringes of cybersecurity that the people need to know to bring their best A game? Oh, Rod. love it. And, and the goal kind of going forward, right, is to spread it further, um, kind of go into other areas, but also adopt areas outside of cybersecurity, more so general to technology. So looking at the technology practitioners, because there's so much overlap, there's so many interesting stories, there's so many reasons why people are the way they are and know the things that they do. So um, we have a great network and we're seeing opportunities to mingle with other people's network and bring them on the podcast. We've been learning a lot and it's great to give all that information back to the community. That is awesome. And I, I, I love that it's, and probably this is kind of why I feel like I got attracted towards Hacker Valley Studios because it's it's so, so selfless and, and not in a bad way. It's more to the point that you guys are trying to help the community and share the information. It's not about how awesome I am and how uh, sexy my voice is, I guess. <laughs> it, it's more about giving back to the community and what you could be doing more. And I love the angle that you kind of brought in from 
because each cybersecurity person is multiple layers, right? We're not just security. Yeah. Have I guess Ron goes to the gym for an hour and a half, and I'm sure you, you like to mow the lawn from the look at looks of it, like Chris in the I, background. <laughs> unfortunately, I do not mow my lawn, uh, oh. but <laughs> I do work out as well. Uh, oh. I just usually let Ron take uh, all the the fitness stuff because uh, he is in way better shape than I am. <laughs> oh, 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 Jack and Ron is just like the the more cuts they can bring to his t-shirt. It's like oh, I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I I love the fact that um you guys are bringing in the other elements of the cybersecurity community as well. That it's not just about knowing how amazing I guess a blue team or a purple team or a red team you are. It's about fitness and other things as well. It's amazing. So. Um, is that something that you're already set foundations for, or is that slowly, slowly going to get added into Hacker Valley Studio? It's been since day one. Since day one, the very first episode was this concept of cy cyber alchemy. Like, what does that even mean, right? So yeah. uh, it's actually still up uh, on Apple or, or Google Podcasts. Just go yep. uh, check it out. But I mean, what were you we, like three episodes in where we brought somebody in to talk about fitness and nutrition? Uh, yep. It's it's been a part of who we've been this entire time. I, I think it's taken time for us to dial in and have people be like, oh, I get it, what they're doing. Because in the beginning, it seemed chaotic. Like, first, we're talking about threat intelligence. And all of a sudden, we're talking about, <laughs> you know, meditation. Like, what is this podcast? But people are starting to get it and they're starting to love it. Oh, wow. That, and, that, and more like a holistic view of cybersecurity as well, actually talking right. to connecting to the community uh, instead of just going, here's some amazing hacker content. Yep. Go and protect yourself from all the bad hackers out there. Right. Sweet. Um, all right, I'm going to continue with the fun question, but this was a great answer. Thank you for sharing that. Um, what is something that you're proud of, but you don't, but you don't have it on your social media? Who wants to take this first? You said, but we don't have it on social media? Yeah, you don't have it on social media. Mm. Uh, there's something for me, uh, non-related to work or cybersecurity, but... Um, I don't use cyber, I don't use uh, social media too much. So I don't post a lot of personal things. I, I post a lot of things that I read, um, things that Chris and I are doing, things that, you know, about these types of conversations. Um, yeah. But one thing that I'm proud of was my sisters recently came to visit and um, we went up to Napa Valley. It was a great trip. We rented a bus uh, the day. It was a beautiful day out. Um, that was just a coincidence. I didn't plan that part. Um, uh, but, <laughs> but it was a great day. Um, and it's going to be, you know, something that we remember for, uh, quite a long time. Yeah. So, what about you, Chris? Yeah. I'd, I'd say the one thing that I, I don't like to brag about, uh, because I, I feel like it's more of a, a duty and a, a service that I do than for something for me to like be, Hey guys, look at me, look at what I do. But I have, I have mentees that I talk to on a regular basis. I help coach people like through their career. I help coach them through life. Um, all the people that reach out uh, just so maybe sometimes we'll bring up like reviews like on the podcast or, or you know, some nice things that people say about the podcast. But I rarely share the, the deep, intimate stories that people share with me and with Ron about how, you know, the podcast has actually changed their life. And that's a huge driver for us to keep doing what we're doing. And it's a good signal for us because we know that we're doing stuff that changes people's lives in some, some ways. People have reached out to us and said that, uh, Oh, I got promoted, uh, because of the content that you guys are producing. And that'd be, that'd be great social media stuff. But I, I don't think that's something that uh, needs to be shared. Uh, I think there are some things that can be left sacred and, uh, you can keep with yourself and, and feel good about it. It's like, uh, you know, doing something for uh, a charity or, you know, donating something fantastic to a school. Uh, if you post it on Instagram because you want likes, I mean, that, that kind of takes away from it, to be honest. So, uh, you know, doing something just because it's the right thing to do and it, and it makes you just feel good inside, I think is a great thing. Sweet. And I think I lost Ron. Oh, there you go. He's back again. There you go. You're back, man. Hey, Ron. <laughs> Wrong button? Is that is that the wrong easy button? Is that, is that what you meant for? <laughs> easy um, escape. <laughs> easy escape. That's pretty much it. Like, oh my god, Chris is on again. Let me just like just pretend to disconnect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, Ron, uh, I think you kind of shared your Napa Valley thing as well, uh, Napa Valley experience, and you mentioned something on the weather. And I'm not sure is is weather not usually great in Napa Valley, being a winery. <laughs> <laughs> 
Is that why you kind of mentioned the great weather? Uh, well, we went, this was in February, and February is still kind of a rainy season. It's not as um, sunny, so All right. it okay. might not be as beautiful. Right, right. Sorry. I was sort of like, why mention of the special mention of the weather? Like, yeah, it's great weather. It's like it's it, every day great weather. <laughs> it, 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 there is great weather, I hear, though, uh, for sure. You know, I'm sorry, coming back to you, Chris, I would have thought you would have put in your comedy stuff, but then I realized you actually did post about your comedy stuff. Yeah, yeah, stuff. I did. So, like, a lot of the things that I do, um, the, the uncomfortable situations that I put myself in, I do share those because I do feel like people can learn that, oh, man, Chris is putting himself in all types of uncom <laughs> uncomfortable situations like stand-up comedy, like poetry reading, and Ron is doing the same same stuff. So I do share that because I want people to see, like, Get out of your comfort zone. Being comfortable never made anybody great. So uh, I do share that stuff. Wait, so I'm curious. What's the most uncomfortable thing that both of you have done? Or maybe it could be together or individually. Go ahead, Ron. Uh, the most uncomfortable? So far. Um, yeah. that's, a, that's a good question. Uh, I, don't, I don't necessarily get uncomfortable too easily. But um, maybe it would be... I would say dancing, like uh, kind of being a part of a dancing group. So I do Zumba from time to time, and that's a little <laughs> uncomfortable for me. But um, I still enjoy it. It's n no shame. Um, but I guess that would be the most thing, the, the most. Wow. Cool. That's, that's pretty, I was, was going to say Zumba to, because uh, I, I think there's like an R&B Zumba and the other versions as well. Like, mm. is there a particular kind of song genre that you kind of prefer doing Zumba to? Um, no, no preference, no preference. Um, but if I do, I do like doing some type of movements that I'm not used to. So I do enjoy the uncomfortable situations also. So, uh, I, I like it all. And the, I think the latest one that I did was like a hit type of Zumba where you're running all over the place, but still trying to do some type of, uh, dance at the same time. All right. That's, I'm going to check that out. Might, might take the name from you for where that's in my, <laughs> might, might get my wife into it as well. What about you, Chris? stand-up comedy that was <laughs> that was the hardest thing i've ever done on any stage so i actually was a, a dancer before the marine corps and so i would travel around the country i've i've done dance overseas and right. that's easy uh public speaking is easy in comparison to doing stand-up comedy in front of anybody in my humble opinion uh i would say i learned so much about not only the, the craft of comedy by doing that, but also I learned about, uh, you know, what does good public speaking look like by doing that? I, I learned, it seems like I learned a year's worth of stuff by doing one five minute bit in front of a bunch of amateur comedians at an open mic. Whoa, that dude, kudos to both of you for putting yourself in uncomfortable situations. Um, as, as this is now a selfish question, uh, as someone who has a, stand-up comedy sketch or sketch as a bucket list item in my life what is your recommendation on how long or how quickly were you into uh i guess from not doing any stand-up comedy to standing in front of an audience and doing your five-minute skit like how what was that duration like seven how days Se holy shit seven days it was seven days me and my brother we had uh we always challenge each other on so many different levels uh <clears throat> we actually did a fitness competition where we did uh we did physical comedy for like three minutes and we ended up winning an award for it it was it was great but uh the stand-up comedy bit we were both headed to la we were just hanging out we were going to go to universal studios things like that and uh, my brother was like hey uh, let's challenge ourselves when we go down there. I was like, all right, what do you want to do? He's like, I don't know. What do you think? I was like, stand-up comedy, let's do it. He's like, all right, it's done. Uh -oh. We were going to go to the softball place, uh, like yeah. softball is in like an easy, like almost like a comedy school uh, in, right. the in the beginning. And we show up, we have our five minutes all set up because uh, my brother and I, we just kept going back and forth, iterating and try to get it better. And we went to the place and it was closed. I was like, oh, my gosh. I was like, we put all this work into doing comedy. We are doing comedy today. So we we did. We looked on Google. We were like, where's the nearest thing? And there's this studio, uh, this this uh, club called The Laugh Factory down in L.A. I mean, these are where serious comedians yep. have been. 
Like mm-hmm. some of the best names in comedy have performed at the Laugh Factory. <laughs> and uh, oh, yeah, sorry, gone. Oh yeah. So actually, I take it back. It wasn't the Laugh Factory. It's the Haha Club. There we go. Oh, the one, uh, yeah, Mr. B. Yeah, the Haha Club. And so uh, we went to the Haha Club, and my stress level went from here to here because not only was I going to be doing this in front of people that were just coming in from off the street just to enjoy comedy, but there were probably like sixteen or seventeen amateur comedians that were going on as well. So these are people that have been doing it for years, and here we are, my brother and I, first time doing comedy. <laughs> Stepping up in front of this uh, Shark Tank of uh, of an audience, uh, but it was it was an awesome experience. Wow! Well, wait, wait, Ron, have you done comedy on stand up comedy before? We we were actually gonna plan on it, uh, Chris, uh, myself, and another friend, but we never got around to it. We did poetry, we held ourselves to that, but we didn't have a set plan to do comedy for uh, comedy stand up. But but I definitely would. That's definitely something that I know would it make me uncomfortable but you learn so much and there's nothing better than being a great storyteller and also a great comedian oh, i'm uncomfortable to ask you what's the next uncomfortable thing that you guys are planning to do <laughs> who i don't know i don't know uncomfortable thing i i feel like there's not much left uh maybe skydive or something yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well oh yeah i'll, I'll let you go without because I, I kind of feel like if every if i have to f- sign a waiver form anywhere like my brown guy person kicks in i'm like nah if you want to sign something <laughs> this. this is not me <laughs> <laughs> um all right i've got a f- one more final question what's your favorite cuisine or restaurant that you can share yeah, my favorite meal that I've ever had in my entire life was in Hawaii at a place called Sushi Show. Sushi Show does two dinners a night, 10 seats. That's it. You usually have to book it months in advance. I was able to call that day. and I was like, please tell me you have an opening. And they said, yeah, we have one. And I was out there for work and I went and I, I tell you what it is the absolute closest I've come to crying because of how good the food tasted. Um, Ron and I, we, we are fine diners. We love a good meal. Uh, yeah. we did mini bar in DC. We've done a uh, Manresa here in the Bay area. Uh, but right. for me, that, that actual meal is number one. Whoa. I can't wait to try it. I can't wait to try it. Uh, what about you, Ron? So are we talking about best meal or just like favorite type of cuisine? You can tip pick either. It's not cheap. <laughs> uh, all right i'll give both a shot for me the the best meal that i can recall off the top is uh being in the philippines and we ended up getting stranded because uh there was a typhoon it was typhoon season it was around i think uh september and i was with uh some friends and uh their family so uh we ended up getting stranded on an island the, the waters were too rough to uh go back to the the bigger island that we were on and yeah. uh, luckily for us, some fishermen also got stranded with us and they had already had their catch. So we had like uh, seafood from them. It was the freshest that I've ever had it literally off the boat right yeah. to us cooked up. Wow. Um, we had uh, squid. We had um, uh, scallops fresh. I never saw a scallop in its shell until that time. And um, it was absolutely delicious. Uh, favorite food, I would say right now, I love a great cooked steak. Like if, if you cook a great steak, um, would love to have it. Oh, all the the protein, right? Hashtag gains. (laughs) 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 Well, um, that, that was pretty much all the questions that I had. Um, and uh, thank you so much for taking the time out, Chris and Ron. It's just, it's been really informative and it's also been really good to know you both as as people as well and i'm glad we were able to share the messaging and the purpose that you guys started hacker value studio with as well so hopefully and sounds like looking at the comments and number of views and stuff as well it looks like a lot of people got some value from it as well so this is amazing i enjoyed a lot of our conversation so thank you so much for taking the time out really appreciate that yeah thanks for having us this was great appreciate Um, it people who want to reach out to you guys um you can probably shout out your socials i'm going to put them in the link and stuff anyways is there a i think you guys have a website as well mm-hmm. and, uh, what's the website that people can reach out to you guys on 
It's, it's easy. Hackervalley.studio. Easiest website ever. Hackervalley.studio. <laughs> All right, for yeah. folks, you heard it first over here. <laughs> this is like Chris and Ron uh, from Hacker Valley Studio. Um, thanks so much for the take, for taking the time out, guys. I'm really, I'm really thankful that you guys did and yeah. shared such a candid response to a lot of questions as well. Thank you so much. I'm gonna stop the podcast, but I, I just wanna. I'm looking forward to having another. Well, I guess many other conversations with you guys at this rate. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to that episode of Cloud Security Podcast. If you found some new information from that episode, we would appreciate if you share it with others. Share it with us as well if you have any good feedback or good learnings from the episode. We are on all your favorite podcast platforms. If you don't find us there, you can always go on our website, www.cloudsecuritypodcast.tv to listen to the latest episode. We appreciate your support in helping us grow. It helps us bring more guests. It helps us support the channel. So really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time and talk to you on the next episode.